Hello everyone, welcome to the episode 16 of Soul Lead Saturday. The guest we have today, Rand Fishkin. He is a founder of Moz as well as Spark Toro. He is a public speaker. He is a YouTube content creator. He is an author of bestseller book, Lost and Founder. So in general, he's everywhere. Let's welcome him and uh, hear his career journey. How did he find his passion and manage to be one of the leaders in the areas he is passionate about? So welcome, Rand, actually, to my Solid Saturday podcast. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. So uh, moving to the first question is around your passion. So I, when I saw it, it is more or like, you know, aligned towards marketing and uh, entrepreneurship. So how did you realize it, actually? How did you find your passion? Gosh, uh, to be honest, we, you know, I, I started... Um, by dropping out of college and having no idea what I was going to do. Uh, I was initially excited about web design. So mm -hmm. I liked, I liked the artistry and the visual side of creation. Uh, I, I liked the creativity that that demanded. And of course, I've, I've always been attracted to and, and interested in the internet. Mm -hmm. uh, even when I was in you know high school and middle school in the 1990s. And so you know, web design felt like a good match, but I unfortunately am not a talented artist or designer and mm -hmm. didn't have a lot of success with that, but eventually stumbled into SEO and marketing mm -hmm. and found that the combination of, you know, being able to do very technical and, you know, statistics-based things along with uh, very creative things uh, on, the, on the content marketing side in particular really appealed to me. And so that's where I've spent my career and, and it's been a really enjoyable one. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, you know, uh, realizing that uh, what are the weak points and, you know, working on your strengths yeah. moving towards. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, folks feel like when they're getting into a mm -hmm. practice that it's not, um, if they're not good at it, if they're not doing well at it, that it is uh, a waste of time. Yes. But I think in, in many ways you have to stumble and fail a few times to find what you're not good at and what you are, what you like about something, what you go. Yeah, very true. So, uh, so definitely you took the right steps towards it, actually pursuing your passion, the way you are leading right now in the entrepreneurship, you are a successful leader. You have lots of community following you. So what are the important steps actually once one finds his interest or the passion work on it? Like? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think it depends what you want to do. With your career, there are certainly, you know, there are people who want to uh, be able to amplify, mm -hmm. you know, their their presence on the web and and reach a lot of people, um, become influential in the community. And then there are people who love to just put their head down and work, and that is a wonderful thing too. Um, mm -hmm. And we need we need both of those, right? I think that uh, great leaders and entrepreneurs can actually be either one. There are plenty of fantastic CEOs that I know who led companies uh, mm -hmm. to great success and they are you know, very much not public figures for mm -hmm. their companies and, and businesses, right? They're, they're much more behind the scenes and that works fine. Mm -hmm. I would say that um, the steps that I would, I would take to try and find, you know, what's successful for you, uh, they start with a great self-analysis, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a willingness to invest in the process of self-discovery, of finding out what gives you energy and what 
um, puts you in a state of flow where you can produce your most you know, high value work and, and what that is. And then finding people you can surround yourself with who will do those same things in uh, areas where you have weakness, but you know that your business or your efforts demand competence. And one of the other things I really urge people to do, I talked about this a little bit in Lost and Founder, is you don't have to shore up your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can just find ways around them. If you are, for example, I really dislike sales. Mm -hmm. I've never been good at sales. I don't, I almost don't believe in it. I know there are people who love it and are great at it, but I'm not one of them. Mm -hmm. which, which, so it's fine. The businesses that I've built, uh, Moz and SparkToro, uh, mm -hmm. the efforts that I've invested in, they basically circumvent the need to have a sales team or a sales process mm -hmm. and go with self-service instead. So I'm good at marketing, bad at sales, fine. Let's build businesses that rely on marketing, not sales. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's a good thing, actually, you know, uh, it's definitely is going to help for the people actually to understand how to work on it when they are, but most of the times people struggle and then they unnecessarily spend their time on, you know, which is like unachievable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you don't have to do the proper analysis and take the steps towards it. And, and sometimes, right. If you're, if you're building a company or a business or a career for yourself, you can find avenues where you don't, need to get good at your weaknesses, mm. right? Uh, if you're you know, terrible at math or not a creative person or you're very introverted and you don't like you know, social interaction, you have social anxiety, or you are very outgoing and you need to be around people, whatever it is, right? Whatever side of the equation you fall mm -hmm. on, you can find past the, you know, the wonderful thing about the modern world, mm -hmm. even in the, the time of crisis that we're in right now around the world, it, is mm -hmm. that you can, uh, the, the world is big enough and broad enough that you can find a path for mm -hmm. almost every passion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's it. pretty interesting, actually. You mentioned in your unique facts as well, being introvert also, you managed to be a public speaker, which is like a very good speaker, actually. So uh, how did you do that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, when I started out, like everyone else, I was terrible. Terrible. Um, you know, I think you could watch mm -hmm. probably some early YouTube YouTube videos of me giving talks, uh, some of my presentations from early conferences and events back in, gosh, what would that have been, 2005, 6, 7. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think the, the thing that eventually made me great and, and got me, you know, invited to lots of keynotes, I don't know if I'm great, but I'm good enough, right? No, you're um, great. Actually, I watched your videos after that. Oh, so you're okay. definitely very good. <laughs> but but uh, I think the, the thing that, that helped me was actually... Um, doing the painful task of watching myself speak mm -hmm. and making the investment of watching other people speak and, and seeing what the difference was between truly great um, speakers and presenters and mm -hmm. what I was missing out on and where I could improve. I, mm -hmm. I know for a lot of folks, right, it can be painful, really painful yeah. to, to like go listen to yourself, watch yourself on video. Yeah. Uh, that's it, not a comfortable activity, but it, it can be hugely rewarding in terms of being able to say, oh, I mm -hmm. see that I have this disfluency. I see that I have this tendency. Mm -hmm. I see that I am not dynamic on the stage. I don't move enough or I, I move too much and I ramble. Mm -hmm. I am not focused enough. I don't explain these types of concepts well, right? And then you invest in those 
and you get better and you structure like we talked about earlier you structure your presentations and your style to complement your strengths and avoid your weaknesses yeah so for example a lot more like you know in, in public speaking it is very important to connect to the audience as well so unless until you do have those skills it's very hard yeah but but it, it's practice right just like anything else i do think by the way um, one thing that made me much better at public speaking was video. Mm. Right? Having to record a yep. weekly video where I gave you know tips and instructions and and tactics that mm. was hugely helpful for my speaking career as well. I think it also got me invited to a lot of events because mm. those organizers would see me on video and they'd say, "Oh, that guy is reasonably good at doing this. Let's invite him." Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah definitely actually once you start doing it and it is more or about showing courage as well like you know doing the things and then even though you fail it at first time or the 10 times uh, you should not give up at all so that's great actually uh, moving to your entrepreneurship actually currently you are a founder of sparktoro.com so uh, which is like making the high quality market research and the audi- audience intelligence so would you like to elaborate more on that actually i don't think audience is more aware about it like how does sure. that work? yeah yeah so we're uh, sparktoro is not yet launched but we should be launching soon mm-hmm. obviously the covid crisis around the world is is delaying us a little bit yeah. and we're rethinking exactly how we want to launch mm-hmm. i'm sure a lot of startups are in the are in the same position, but um, we already have a few hundred early access paying customers and we're uh, sort of trying to help people with the market research problem around understanding what their audience pays attention to, listens, reads, watches. For example, right, if if you wanted to find out, um, especially, how, how do I say your name? Vaishali. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, right. If you wanted to find out, for example, uh, who, what other podcasts do entrepreneurs listen to mm. and uh, what have been great guests for them, you might try and survey your audience. You mm-hmm. might try and interview some people and, and get that intel, but that takes you know, weeks or months of work and it's not going to be very comprehensive because you can't survey a, a huge swath of the market. You're only going to get the people that are in your network. And so SparkToro basically crawls the web, builds all these profiles of people, and then lets you search across them. So you could say, I want entrepreneurs in I don't know, Canada mm-hmm. uh, who are interested in software, mm-hmm. and I want you to show me which podcasts they listen to. Mm-hmm. Now I want you to show me which YouTube channels they follow, mm-hmm. and show me what websites they visit, and show me which social accounts uh, mm-hmm. they follow and amplify, right? And then, then you might say, oh, I'm going to invite some of those social accounts, you know, some of the people behind the social accounts that these entrepreneurs in Canada follow and uh, get them on the podcast because I think they'll help amplify Mm -hmm. my podcast to their audiences. And that's who I want to reach. You could do the same for uh, commercial fishermen in Alaska. You could Mm -hmm. find what they watch. You could find what architects in Los Angeles watch. You could find what people who are interested in Nintendo switch games, uh, in, in the UK. So all, all of that type of intelligence is what we help people do. That's great. Actually, you know, uh, that definitely going to help people. It is a kind of a analytics, I feel, but it is yeah, also, sort of, um, yeah. So it is going yeah, to we kind of think of it like a research tool. Yeah. Research tool. Yeah. That's great. And, uh, thank you for sharing moving towards your, you were founder of Moz as well. 
Am I taking the name right? Moss? Yeah, Moss, yeah. So, uh, which specifically helped boost the rankings and again, uh, the search engine visibility. Would you like to share anything about, I know actually a couple of things about search engine, how does it work, but it would be great if you can share more insights about towards the audience. Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, for folks who are, who are mm -hmm. listening or watching, probably familiar with search engine optimization, which is the practice of improving your website and producing content to rank highly in, in search engines, mostly Google uh, these days because they have such a high market share mm. and earning traffic back from those, not from the paid side, paid ad side, but from the organic results that you know don't cost you um, anything per click. But you, you obviously have to make the investments in content and amplification, links back to your site those kinds of things. And, and Moz, yeah, that's exactly what Moz did. It, it helped you, you know, had a link graph of the web, mm -hmm. uh, help you try and find uh, link opportunities, help you try and uh, determine where uh, link value comes from, uh, help you, you know, it crawls your website every week and tells mm -hmm. you, oh, you have these problems or issues, uh, much like Google uh, Webmaster Tools does, um, Google Search Console now. And uh, Moz, yeah, Moz was a, you know, very, very successful company, had a, had a high growth rate for many years while I was there. Uh, I left a few years ago and they're um, in a much more competitive market space than they were previously. So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people use um, SEMrush and Ahrefs, which are uh, competitors to Moz over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that company is still, yeah, still doing well, still based here in Seattle. Does it help to like uh, get the domains, like website domains, more visibility, like when you search something in the search engine, it is like your website will pop up first in the recommendation kind of, or in the top 10 recommendations in the search engine. How does it work that way? Uh, what do you mean? When you start typing and you get those suggested search, right? So whenever we are doing the keyword search and suppose somebody wants their website domain or the something which is like, they want it to be like, get into like top 10 list in the search yep. engine. So that, that is something that it helps to uh, bring that. Yeah, that's exactly what Moz helps okay. with precisely, right? Okay, okay. That's interesting actually. Um, and that definitely helps like, you know, you will get more click stream, like uh, you will get the more hits on your website content. So yeah. yeah. Um, moving towards, um, again, the search engine part actually, uh, how uh, the question is like, it's a lot more about search engines and improvising to grow from good to better. How does this keyword search help? I think you answered a couple things, but the question here moreover, like how to grow from good to better. So if uh, you are doing good, but how this keyword search engine can help them to do better. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think that, um, let's see, the broad answer to how can search engines help your website do better okay. is when people search for particular topics and you mm -hmm. are the answer to that question, Mm -hmm. You get not only a visit, but also an opportunity to brand mm -hmm. uh, your, you know, to, to, to uh, yep. reach that person with your brand and to create an impression around uh, what you can do for them. Hopefully, if you appear in many searches mm -hmm. uh, much of the time, right, you can attract not only traffic, but eventually people who sign up for your email list or purchase your product or read something from you and decide, yeah, you know what, I, I think I want to use this company to solve my problem. I think I want to uh, mm -hmm. take advantage of their products or services. Mm -hmm. It's great. Uh, I would, I would say that, um, you know, keyword research in particular, mm -hmm. 
is the practice of essentially figuring out what are the words and phrases that people are using in search mm -hmm. engines and then uh, in what volume and are they valuable to me as, as visit, potential visitors. And then I'm gonna go create content and optimize that content or in links to that content, help mm -hmm. people solve their problems with that content mm -hmm. uh, and move up in the Google rankings so that I can attract more of that traffic. Yeah, that's great actually. And then definitely it helps to uh, create your own, like get the marketing for your own brand actually. So that's a pretty interesting area. Moving towards your, uh, you are a writer as well. So you wrote a book, author of uh, Lost and Founder, which talks about a painfully honest fear guide to startup world. So how was the journey actually writing the book? Like it was like real experiences that you shared along the journey or how was it? Yeah, I, I found it very cathartic and very fulfilling. Um, you know, it, uh, it can be challenging to revisit pain that's happened to you in the past and decisions that you regret. But I think if, you, if you're a founder and an entrepreneur, you almost certainly have decisions that you regret, right? You've made some good choices and probably some bad choices. And, and you know, uh, it is just reality that you're going to find mm -hmm. as you analyze that, that past journey and as you try to share it with others, I, I think Look, there's a lot of business books out there written by entrepreneurs who try and paint a picture where they say, oh, here's what I did, and this is why my company was so successful, and you should do it too. And I kind of hate those books. I don't, I don't find them particularly valuable. I, I don't know. I think that's a lot of hot air and bloviating, and um, it's not compelling to me. So, you know, when I, when I wrote this book, I wanted to write something that would share the, the dark underbelly, right? The, mm -hmm. the hard parts, the nastiness, mm -hmm. um, the challenges and, and um, emotionally difficult parts of a startup journey um, and give folks some insight into hard decisions that I made, that we made, that were wrong, mm -hmm. not just the ones that were successful, right? I don't want to point... I don't want to point to Boz and be like, oh, look at this, you know, $55 million a year company that, you know, raised all this money and grew super fast and blah, 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 employs all these people, has all these thousands of customers, whatever, right? I also want to point to it and say, this is where we messed up. This is how we missed this market timing. This is how we um, made foolish investments. This is why we had to do layoffs, you know, a few years ago. This is uh, what those board meetings look like, uh, the, mm -hmm. the complexities of that situation. This is how these relationships deteriorated between people. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that's hard to share, but I, I also know that uh, for a lot of the readers of the book, it's, it's really resonated. And that, that gives me comfort, right? Maybe, maybe all that pain I went through wasn't for nothing because it can help somebody else. So uh, some of the things I feel like, you know, I also work for a couple of startups. I feel like they are always worried about the financial risks come along with the startup area. So uh, how did you deal with, deal with you? Definitely you would have gone through that. Now you are more financially stable, but always people when they start initially, they always go through that journey. And a lot of people are not good at handling the financial risk. So what would be the best way to handle that? <laughs> I mean, 
Vaishali, I'm not sure what impression I gave you, but um, you know, SparkToro is in the early stages of startup. It hasn't uh-huh. launched yet. We are very much in a financial risk situation. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so uh, yeah, yeah. No, we we're lucky, right? We have we raised a healthy amount of money um, uh-huh. about a year and a half ago. Uh, we have a good runway, so hopefully we can get through this, you know, this crisis and, mm-hmm. and the economic slump that's going to hit afterward. Uh, it's already starting right now. Mm-hmm. But I um, I think that one of the things, one of the best things that you can do, which I did not do at Moz, and I really should have done, is to structure your company uh, in such a way that you maximize your potential survivability, long-term survivability. Mm-hmm. And, and to my mind, that means building a business model uh, that initially requires very little cost and labor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then proving that out over time and only deciding whether to scale up or raise money or, or sort of go big after you've done that. I think a lot of the later startups, um, a, a great example of this is uh, the Atlassian, right? Atlassian basically didn't raise any money. They, they, they started very small and then they built up slowly over time. And then once they realized they were onto something extraordinary, mm-hmm. then they raised some money, right? And some of the founders took some of the money off the table and, and then they committed to sort of this, this big growth curve. I think that is a much, much smarter way to play it than, you know, the counterpoints, the common counterpoints are people like WeWork and Uber, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even Lyft, right, who essentially raised huge amounts of money to build this business that doesn't really work unless capital, tons of capital is coming in. And many, many startups do this and think they're supposed to do this mm-hmm. uh, when they raise venture capital. And I, I don't think that is the way forward. I think we're going to move to a world, I think we're already moving to a world where profitability is the first thing you should aim for. Long-term survivability, you know, low cost, a good profit margin, mm-hmm. hiring fewer people, keeping them remote, not investing in tons of office space, you know, not having uh, uh, high startup costs. Those kinds of things can be remarkable because it can give you a lot of runway to make mistakes early on and learn what works for your business. I think that makes you much more financially secure. Yeah, that's that's pretty wise actually because a lot of times it happens. Like I worked for two startups, and then one was quite like doing well, uh, but the other one was uh, always they were worried about taking the financial risk because unless until you take that risk, it it's very hard to grow. It is always like a leap of faith whether the things will work or not. It is always going to be like that. So yeah, that was very wise, and thank you for sharing. Uh, Moving towards, uh, you already talked about a couple of challenges, actually, real challenges for which startups face. Any other things that you would like to highlight when it comes to the startups? Sure. I, I mean, I think, I think one of the hardest things that many startups, probably almost everyone face, are um, hiring and team building, um, finding the right people and bringing them aboard, and, and letting the wrong people go. Mm. Uh, those are... Those are hard challenges. They're, they're people challenges. I think many, if not most, startup founders have a lot of empathy for other people, but at some point in their journey along you know, building their business, they feel like the right thing to do is to treat people like numbers, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that also gets really hard. Um, I, 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 would, 
I would urge folks to uh, consider two things that I found to be true, which I didn't initially expect. Mm -hmm. One is that I, I thought that to build a successful company, I had to hire a head of revenue. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you know, um, basically I had to hire more people than I needed so that in the future when revenue ramped up, we wouldn't slow our growth down artificially by not having enough talent and enough people to, to do the work. And I think that was wrong. I think, mm -hmm. uh, in fact, you can hire slow, you can hire behind growth mm -hmm. and be very successful. Um, I, I think that you don't need most of the time what... Mm -hmm. Uh, investors tell you or, or what markets will tell you is, is sort of like, well, you have to grow faster than your competitors so you can win this market before anybody else. I don't think that's actually true. All, with a few exceptions, I think that's almost never true. Mm -hmm. In most markets, what you should do is profitably and sustainably uh, find mm -hmm. that growth ramp rather than try and beat the market by growing ahead of where you have revenue. So that's one thing that will obviously... That, that can be a huge lifesaver in terms of future decisions yeah. you make around employees and layoffs and firing people and all that kind of stuff. It also means you don't have to hire as fast. Mm -hmm. and hiring very fast is what I've found um, really hurts culture. Mm -hmm. uh, the second piece that surprised me mm -hmm. was I found initially when I started hiring people, I, you know, I thought the worst thing in the world I could do was to, would be to have to fire them. I mm -hmm. thought firing people is terrible. It's always wrong and bad. Mm -hmm. And what I found over my career um, was no. In fact, when we let people go, they often went on to be more productive, more successful, happier at their next companies. Almost mm -hmm. always, actually. Mm -hmm. I, I, can, I can barely think of an example where that wasn't true. Uh, and so that made me realize, oh, we, we should be much more liberal with letting people go. It's okay to let someone go. It, it's not your fault. It's not my fault. It just didn't work out. The, the story that we were, we wanted to tell wasn't the one that you wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. So let's part ways. And as long as you're generous with your uh, severance and you can help people find new gigs, I think, I think letting people go early, mm -hmm. early on when they're not showing that they're kind of the right fit for your company is a good thing. Uh, if you find that two or three people who you've hired don't fill a role well, you might not be doing the role correctly. Mm. That might be on you, not on them. So that, that would be the other lesson. Yeah, these are like very insightful, actually. I felt like the first one that you talked about, like, no, always have the more resources. Uh, that definitely some of the like uh, backdrops I can see in the startups that they always are with the lack of resources. If somebody leaves, then it's like you have a time to shut down the business. So yeah, this is really very good strategies that you shared. And moving towards your leadership style, how do you lead? Actually, definitely you are you are a leader. Actually, I can't doubt about that. So how how is your leadership style? Um, let's see. I am. Hmm. I don't, I'm not sure exactly how to answer that. I think that's a tough one to, to yeah. analyze from a difference. I, I would say that I like to build connections with the people I work with. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, uh, I don't really believe in separating personal and work. 
Mm. I, I know that works for some people, right? They can sort of be maintain professional distance and mm. you know not build relationships with the people I work with. They work with. I, I don't do that. Mm. If we work together. We have a personal relationship. I, mm. I'm the same person, you know, whether we're having dinner together or if we're, um, you know, working on a project together. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't. I don't really like to separate those those sides of myself. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm also someone who uh, tries to lead a little more by example than by instruction. Oh. So rather than saying like, mm. hey, go do this, I sort of say, hey, here's what I'm doing. Uh, what are you working on? <laughs> right? <laughs> right, and then it's- Great actually, um, okay. it's very yeah. important, yeah. Leadership by example is a great, great hat great style to have actually so that you know you don't have to say much once the people see the leader doing right thing the automatically people follow that potentially it yeah. works well for some people it doesn't work well for other people there are <laughs> i've worked with plenty of folks who who love to be told exactly what to do and how to do it right mm -hmm. just give me the task assign it to me show, you know make it really clear mm -hmm. uh, don't make me have to define my own work and job and and i don't do particularly well with that style mm. right? that's not that's not how i lead mm. uh, but you know i've hired people who have led that way and they've been able to make that that work mm. uh, for their teams but it, it's not me so yeah i think that's a weakness that um that i have to recognize i have a strength in one area weakness mm. in another yeah but the, definitely there were a couple of things that you mentioned it's like a group good leadership style to have uh moving towards um establishing a brand in the crowded space actually how hard and difficult or challenging it is when it comes to creating your own brand because this yeah. space is very uh, crowded actually nowadays like anybody can access the social media anybody can go and have their content but it is very hard to engage people yeah and create your own space so how like how how did it go for you actually so you already created your brand kind of I mean, I think that is one of the things that certainly was very helpful for me is that I got into the spaces early, right? I was building up a content brand before content marketing became popular. I was building up a video brand before video content became popular, mm -hmm. building up a social media presence before social media really took off. Oh, nice. um, and I think that that, you know, the, the, those lessons are, are, are always true. If you get ahead of a curve on something, right? If you see oh, podcasts are taking off, I should get a podcast. Oh, you know, whatever, uh, episodic video feels like it's something that's probably taking off right now. You know, that's early in the curve, you could probably jump on that. Um, TikTok, you know, potentially is early, relatively early in its curve. Yeah. Um, I think that there, there are probably some forms of visual content mm -hmm. uh, that are still early enough in the curve where you can pick them up. And some of it might be industry specific. So it might be, oh, well, everyone's doing photos on Instagram. Yeah, but who's doing Instagram for B2B in the chemical processing industry? Nobody. Yeah, no. That's your chance, right? There, there you go. That's an opportunity. Um, so I, I think that uh, being early was absolutely one of the things that I did well. I also try to be, um, I'm not sure if this is tied to my success, but I think that being very authentic and not very corporate has helped me. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a, a brand thing that is useful in the current era. You know, mm -hmm. the, um, it's unusual mm -hmm. still in a lot of uh, business to business stuff, a lot of, I don't know, corporate marketing stuff. And so it feels good to people and that 
um, resonates with the right, you know, with, with my audience at least. Yeah, that's, that's pretty wise. And uh, moving towards the last question of uh, the podcast is that any kind of advice you would like to give to aspiring entrepreneurs or the students or the profession, professions actually, professionals who are looking to grow in their career? Yeah, um, I mean, I think that one of the best things, one of the best things you can do that I wish I had done is uh, join other startups. I wish I had joined a couple other startups, even if they had totally failed and done terrible and you know, whatever, and I hadn't had a great time there. I wish I had joined a few other companies before starting my own mm -hmm. um, because I think that you can rapidly learn and observe kind of what, what you like and don't like and what you want to replicate and don't. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's one of the things that I would certainly urge anyone coming out of school or, um, or considering a career as a founder to, to do that. I also mm -hmm. find it um, really valuable to gain expertise, deep expertise in one area that you are passionate about or interested in that you think will help your business. You know, for me, that turned out to be marketing, but it could be, it could be anything. It could be HR or finance or statistics or content or whatever, you know, whatever you might be passionate about, mathematics. Um, uh, and then help other people with that. Yeah. Show off your expertise. The, the, the more, the, one of the best ways to be successful as an entrepreneur is to have a great network around you. Mm. One of the best ways to build a great network around you is to be truly helpful to other people. Mm. And you can't be helpful to other people unless you first have unique skills that mm. those people need. So build your skills, then build your network, mm -hmm. then build your company. Mm. Yeah, that, that's like a best advice to have actually. Uh, so thank you so much. And it was so much fun talking to you. Definitely you are a leader. I can see that. And I hope that I would be like, you know, a public speaker like you one day. Do it. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. Yeah. I want to see it. Yes. So thank you so much. I appreciate your time and hope audience will also enjoy this episode. So until we meet, happy leading. Let's live together. Bye. Thank you so much for having me, Vaishali. Uh, thank you so much.